Our reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Listen for the word of God. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you with me so that where I am, you will be too. You know the way to the place I am going. Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I have spoken to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me does his work. Trust me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on account of the words of themselves. I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask for in my name so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I think the hardest part of any loss is the questions that it generates. It's not that questions are bad. In fact, questions are good. I encourage questions. Even when my kids go through the questions phase, I enjoy it because at least they're thinking. There's nothing wrong with a question. The problem with questions and loss, though, is that they have no answer. Often, there's no reason, there's no rhyme, there's no solution or prop to solve the problem that we're asking about. And sometimes the problem with questions and loss is that we ask the wrong ones. Often our questions are blame-centered, so we want to know, why is this happening? What did I do wrong? What did I do to cause this? Surely there's something I did, something I've done that has caused this terrible thing to happen. There's a woman who reports that when she was born, she was born with one arm. And it's just an accident, a freak of nature, one of those things that happened. But through her whole life, she always heard people say, what is it that your parents did to cause you to be born this way? Who's at fault? Blame-centered questions. Or sometimes we ask practical questions which have no answer or no answer that's revealed to us yet. We ask things like, how long will this last? When will it be over? How long has it been since this has been going on? As if we find, if we can find the practical solutions, if we just know how long this will be, then that will make everything okay. If we just know how long this will last, or how soon we'll be over it, or how soon this will cease to be, then that will somehow bring us peace. But what it often does is create more turmoil, cause more trouble. You'll notice that in this passage, Jesus studiously avoids ever answering the question. It's one of his favorite tricks. The disciples and the people who gathered around him were always asking Jesus questions, and sometimes they really wanted to know what the answer was. 
They legitimately did. It was a reason that they wanted to answer this question, Lord, how do I gain eternal life? Or what do I do about my friend? How many times should I forgive them? And Jesus never, ever, ever, almost ever, responds with a direct answer, which had to be really annoying. Like, wouldn't it have just been easier to say, well, this is what you do with a checklist? But Jesus always responds to questions with a story. Or he often doesn't respond to the actual question that the person asks. Sometimes he asks the questions that they should have asked. And it's a solid teaching strategy, really. Because if the, one of the first things they teach you in teaching classes is, if you answer the question for them, they will not learn it, right? They have to figure it out. They have to explore it. There has to be metaphors. Most people don't learn just by hearing an answer. And so Jesus, the wise teacher, is never satisfied with directly answering their question and just telling them the answer. He always sort of makes them figure it out, puzzle through it. In John 14, this chapter, in fact, 15 and 16, are just an extended answer to a question that nobody was asking. Now, they were asking questions. Sure, Peter wanted to know, where are you going, Lord, and why can't I follow you? I'll go with you. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we go where you're going if we don't know where you're going? Which is a reasonable question. Philip says, how can we see the Father if you're gone? How can we see the Father without you? It's a reasonable question. And Jesus doesn't answer any of them. Jesus never answers to Peter why he can't go where Jesus is going. He never responds to Thomas, this is exactly how you get to heaven. He never responds to Philip and says, this is how you're going to see me after I'm gone. Instead, he goes on an extended metaphor Trust me, my father's house has much room. Now you can imagine if you lived in a small town, in a big town, like Jerusalem back in 1 AD, where everybody lived in a two-room house, not two-bedroom, two-room house, that the idea of a house with many rooms was awfully appealing. There's room to spare, he says. For I am in God and you are in me. There's time to spare. So the answer to the question is different than the question that they were asking. Jesus saw deeper. Jesus saw below the question, underneath the question, around the question to the real source of why they were asking. This is part of what is called the farewell discourse in John. And it's basically Jesus's extended chance to say goodbye. Now, if you live in the South, you know how hard it is to say goodbye. You say goodbye, and then you stand up, and then you talk for about 20 more minutes, right? And then you say goodbye again, and then everybody goes on the porch, and then says goodbye again. And then you all walk to the car, and you get in the car, right? And then everybody waves, and you leave. There's no such thing as a short goodbye. It's one of our best traits, I think. And this is the same thing. Jesus spends... Uh, chapters on chapters, saying goodbye to his disciples. And he sees in various states of, of what they're feeling. And the real truth here is that the questions weren't practical ones, even though that's what came out. The questions were about their pain. 
They were in pain. Their friend was leaving. They were in pain because their dreams were ending. What they thought was going to be was not going to be. And they were scared. Peter wanted to get it over with. He wanted to go with Jesus and just get it over with. He thought it would be easier if it was shorter. They were in pain and aware because Jesus told them the truth of what was coming. And they realized that they had a limited time left. It made them aware of their own humanity and it made them aware of Jesus' humanity. They were scared. They were confused. This wasn't the Jesus they had been expecting. This wasn't the triumphal end to this experience that they were expecting. And so Jesus answers the real question they're asking, which is, what can I do to make my heart whole again? What can I do to be free from being in trouble, from being hurt, from being in pain? You see, they asked questions about where Jesus was going and who he was going to be with and why he was going. And what they really wanted to know was, who's going to hold me when, I'm, when you're gone? Who's going to bring me peace? Who am I going to love? And who's going to love me? Now, the world has lots of answers to these questions. You can just turn on the TV and find them, right? We see commercials all the time that tell us if we just buy this product, then we'll have lots of friends. If we just buy the right beer or the right pop or the right drink or the right thing to eat or whatever, then we'll just have lots of friends and everything will be fine, right? We'll have parties in the backyard because we bought Pepsi. Or the world tells us that if we look the right way, then we'll be fine and we'll live forever. You know, if you were just skinny, you would be fine. Or, you know, if you tried dyeing your hair a different color, maybe that would fix the pain or the emptiness inside of you. Or maybe if you eat the right foods or don't eat the right foods. Or if you exercise three hours a day, then everything will be fine and you won't feel that pain anymore that's steep in your soul. Or the particular trap that we're falling into right now in our society, which is if you just think the right things, then everything will be okay. See, the real problem is you don't think the right way, right? If you just agreed with me, then you wouldn't be in pain anymore. If you just thought the way that I thought, if you just saw things the way that I saw things, then you won't experience this loneliness. Come be in our group. We have a place for you here. The only trick is you have to give up your own thought process, right? You have to think what I think. You have to use the words that I use. And if you don't, then you're out. And what we found is this is leading into people thinking some dangerous things and doing some dangerous things. It's led to a rise in conspiracy theories like we haven't seen before. I read a statistic the other day that over 30% of Americans believe in one form of a conspiracy or another. Whether it's the JFK shooting or alien landing or not landing on the moon or 9-11 being an inside job or our latest QAnon fascination. We've taken comfort in conspiracy theories because we're asking the wrong questions and we're looking for solutions in the wrong places. We all of us experience a sense of loss 
We have all of us experienced pain in this last year. We have all of us sought for truth. And the messages that we're getting are telling us to go to the wrong places. Jesus answers it this way. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Loss is part of life, and yes, I have to leave this world and go to the next. And you won't see me in the way you saw me before, but where I go, you go. My father's house has room to spare. There's one right answer, and it's this. Trust in God. Trust in God. It's as simple and as complicated as that. And if you are looking for answers anywhere else, then those answers are doomed to failure. Trust in God and trust also in me. See, Jesus is acting to claim us, to give us grace, to say, you're welcome in my house. You are always mine. I'm going somewhere. I am the way. I am the answers to the questions that you aren't asking. I am the one who's going to fill up that hole in your belly, the one that you don't even know is there sometimes. I am the grace of God. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Jesus is saying that we don't have to have the answers. We don't have to know everything. But we do have to ask the questions. In essence, we don't have to do anything except ask questions, in fact. There's nothing we can do to earn God's grace or favor or love. And there's nowhere else we can go other than God to be filled. To relieve our hearts from trouble. All we have to do is ask the question, how can my heart be free? Where can I go to get rid of this pain? Trust in God. Trust also in me. God has nothing but time. Nothing but time. God has enough time for you and for me and for the person sitting next to you and for the person down the street. It's not a limited resource, and you can go to God whenever you want and ask whatever questions you want. And Jesus is going to give you the answer that you really need. God has nothing but space for us to ask questions. God has nothing but time and nothing but space, and God has already acted to claim you and to give you room. You are a part of the family of God, whether you like it or not. And so we ask the questions, and we know the answer. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Amen.